Welcome back to Friday Live. Uh, I'm here by myself today. Again, Matt Parker here at the Crucible Spire. Um, Tim had to work today and couldn't be with us, so um, it's just us. And we're going to be talking about Romans 11 today. We might actually get through the whole chapter, um, but it's going to be a, an interesting discussion. If you've ever had questions about Romans 11, today's the day. Um, be sure to like, uh, make a comment there on the on the stream so that we know you're listening. And uh, as we jump into Romans 11, give you a second to go get your Bible and get ready. And uh, stay tuned. All right, we are back at it. Glad to have everybody with us. I'm a one-man show today again. Um, it's just me. And so um, if you could do us a favor and like and comment and all those sorts of things, we'll uh, let, you, let us know that you're out there watching. And uh, we're going to jump into Romans 11. Um, Tim couldn't be here with us today, um, again, so it's just me. He's working, but uh, really hoping to get him back in the studio here pretty quick. Um, lots going on before we jump into Romans chapter 11. I hope you got a Bible with you. Um, we're going to be jumping into some things um, that I think will be interesting to you if, uh, if you are a student of the Word. But uh, just a quick update on ministry uh, stuff. We're still continuing to develop our app, working on scheduling um, still some, some trainings down in the valley, so be, please be in prayer about that, um, about training a pastoral church plant, planting network down there and in the Del Rio area down on the border. So pray with us about that and, um, and just help us uh, to do that. Let's jump into Romans chapter 11. I know it's a snow day. Uh, people are out of school. People are out of work. And so um, if you're out there, man, this is a great day for you to jump in on the broadcast and and interact with us, and uh, give us a thumbs up, like us, give us a heart, comment on the deal in the comments, and I can see here um, that you're watching if you've got any questions and that sort of thing. So, but before, I mean, without any further ado, let's jump into Romans chapter 11. One of those great chapters, and there's some things about Romans chapter 11 that get misunderstood a lot and get misused a lot, um, I think. So I want to try to clear up some of those but if you go back a couple of verses into Romans chapter 10, where we left off last time, is he says um, in verse 20, he says, and Isaiah says, boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me, and I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and a defiant people. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 2, if you want to take note and look that up. Um, but he's, what he's been doing through 10 and he's going to continue to do through Romans 11 is make this comparison and a contrast against Israel and how they believed and Gentiles and how and why they believed and then kind of what it all comes back to in the end. Um, and so uh, I want you to hang with me because there's a couple of things we need to get to towards the end of the chapter but I want to look at, and it's a, it's a great chapter, chapter 11, because it puts things in perspective, all right? And he's going to be, as you see us reading, he's going to be talking about um, what he's going to call a cultivated olive tree um, versus a wild olive tree. He's going to give us this picture, this word picture um, of this wild tree versus this cultivated tree. And I, and I want you to, to think about it in terms of, if uh, I always think of like those little origami, not origami, uh, what are they called? Uh, Tim's usually here, and I can say, what is that called? Um, the bonsai trees. I remember when I was a kid watching Karate Kid, you know, and Mr. Miyagi was playing with the little bonsai tree, and they look like big trees, but they're little. 
but they're cared for. They're cultivated and they're pruned and they're shaped and 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 you can tell that someone takes care of them. Um, I think of you know shrubbery and bushes around places that are are manicured and cared for. They're cultivated. Um, they're in the right spot. Their branches look neat and cared for versus just a wild shrub out in the yard, you know, that gets gets left, which is what happens to shrubs in my yard because I'm not a gardener. And, uh, and it's wild and maybe unruly. And so I get this picture in my head of those two things, um, you know, something that's wild outside of where it ought to be. It's not kept. It's just doing its thing versus this cultivated, cared for, um, you know, beautiful tree. So I want you to keep that imagery in your mind as we start reading. He starts in verse 11. Remember, he said, look, I was found by those who weren't looking for me. Gentiles. Gentiles found the Lord. They weren't looking for him. They weren't following the oracles of God. They were just stumbling out there like this wild tree doing their own thing. And you, then you had Israel who had the oracles of God, were looking for him, and missed him. Okay? And then he says this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. Now, we have to deal with that. The que what he's saying is, is the fact that the people rejected Christ, that Israel rejected the Messiah as he came, he, he asked the question, does that mean that they've been completely rejected? Does that mean that they're hopeless? And he says, absolutely not. For I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. It gives a personal example. He said, if, the, if all Jews, if all children of Israel were rejected from following God because of the Messiah, because of their history, their past, or whatever, he said, that I wouldn't be one because I am a Jew. He said, I am a child of Israel. He said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he's the guy. And he's like, I'm an example of how the children of Israel can come. So it's, it's not that there's this holistic rejection of the people of Israel. He's going to build this out even more. Chapter, verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, or don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? It's, it's interesting that he's writing to, some pagan, to, the, to the Gentiles, and he's like, don't you understand? Well, let me, let me back up. He says, what the scripture says about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. Now, it, it's an interesting passage. You can go look it up. It's in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, I believe. And he quotes Elijah. And he says, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to take my life. If you go over to 1 Kings chapter 19, you'll read the story. And he's, he's saying, Lord, they've turned against me. Nobody believes in you. I'm prophesying for you. They're trying to kill me. He, he goes down into verse 14 of 1 uh, I keep saying Corinthians, 1 Kings chapter 19. And he says the same thing. But God answers that plea. And then he, in verse 4 of Romans 11, he alludes to that. He says, but what was God's answer? Now, let me take a note here. It's interesting see a couple people online. Uh, Y'all go ahead and comment. Let us know you're watching. I'd love to see who's out there. Um, I love the way he's teaching and walking them through this. He was like, okay, here's what has happened. And he's quoting some Old Testament scripture. And he says, but then here's something in the, in the present. Look at me. And he's like, don't you remember what Elijah said? That everybody's turned against God? Hey, Jeff, Corey. And uh, uh, he's, everybody's turned against you. Uh, you know, everybody's wanting to kill me. Nobody's believing. And then he says, he's questioning. He's using these leading questions. 
But what is God's answer to him? He says, I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. And so he's referencing this. He's setting up a scenario. He said, you remember when Elijah said way back when in, the, in 1 Kings? Remember when he said to the Lord, nobody believes. They've all turned against me. They all want to kill me. And God says, yeah, or he says, yes, I remember that. But what did God say in response to Elijah? He says, I have a remnant. I've held some. Basically, he's saying, Elijah, you're not alone, buddy, okay? I, I, I've got this under control. You're not by yourself. Every, let me put it a different way. He said, everybody's not trying to kill you. Everybody hasn't turned their back. There are some who are good. They've been kept, okay? And that's what he's telling him in, in Romans 11.4. He says, remember God's answer to him. I've left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed to Baal. Verse 5. In the same way then, okay, so he's going to say, remember that story. Now let's talk about this current thing that we're talking about, Israel versus Gentile. In the same way then, there's also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. In other words, he said, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Maybe that's what, hey, Tiffany, Tunnel, nice to see you watching. He says, just as in Elijah's day there was a remnant, there were some that had not turned to Baal, that believed. He said, just as that is, now he's saying when he's writing, there are some Jews who believe. It's not everybody. It's not a lock, stock, and barrel. Okay? That's important. Verse 6. Now, if by grace... Well, he says, and there's a remnant chosen by grace. This chapter's going to deal with some concepts that, that may be uncomfortable for some of us, okay? He's going to deal with this idea of people being chosen, being elect, um, with God's sovereignty. And let me just say to you that God's sovereignty, even in the issue of salvation, there are scholars for thousands of years, a couple thousand years, way more intelligent than me, um, that have argued over this idea for a long time. What I want to do is let the text speak, okay? Um, I don't want to necessarily stand on the, on the shoulders of, of Calvin or even Augustine or, or any of those other guys, though those are good shoulders to stand on. Um, hey, Victor, nice to have you. Um, but I want to look at the text and the language that he's using, okay? There is a remnant chosen by God by grace, okay? It's the grace of God. That's important. Hang on to that. And he says, because now if by grace, verse 6, then it is not by works, otherwise grace ceases to be grace. Okay, he's kind of throwing in this thing that if you can earn it, it's not grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. It's, it's not that you earned it. It's the mercy of God that brings it. All right, we're all good. Hello, Miss Sue Starks. Nice to have you on today. Verse 7, what then? Okay, he said, so what's the implication of the fact that there's a remnant chosen by grace, held by God, Okay, that believes. What's the, what's the ramification of that? He says, Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it, and the rest were hardened. This is one of those hard truths that you just kind of have to stare in the face, okay? He, he's speaking of Israel. He's speaking of the children of Israel. Some of them, by grace, the elect, the ones who, um, for lack of a better term, those who were chosen to believe it and to receive it, did. Some of them didn't, and it says they were hardened. We could talk in circles forever about whether they had a disposition for hardening and then God harmed, just like in Pharaoh 
or whether God caused the hardening and then their own disposition continued it. Um, I, I, I tend to fall somewhere probably in the middle. Hello, Robert Horton. Um, that, that it's probably somewhere in the middle. There is a human element of responsibility to all of this, and there's a, a great divine tension in that. But for the picture that he's painting, Israel versus Gentile, cultivated olive tree, wild olive tree, he said there were some that believed, chosen by grace through the elect, by the election of God to do it, to believe, and some that didn't, and they were hardened. The big question that gets begged then is why? He's going to actually answer the question. That's what this whole chapter's about. Why would he do it that way? Get back to verse 7. Uh, or he says, but the elect at the end did find it, and they were hardened. Or the rest were hardened, excuse me. Verse 8, as it is written, again, he's going to quote the Old Testament again. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. Here's what I want you to understand about the sovereignty of God. How do I want to say this? God does what He pleases. He is holy, righteous, and good, and what He does is good and right. If you can settle that in your heart, even if it goes against your sensibilities, if you can stare Him in the face and understand and receive His character and His nature and just that things are the way they are because He has declared them to be so, uh, you've gotten a long way down the road. And it will actually help you to exegete scripture which is to take scripture and let scripture speak for what it means versus eisegete scripture which is to take your own ideas and inject them into the text that's not what we want to do we want the scriptures to speak and look what it says god gave them a spirit of stupor okay what is a spirit of stupor if you've ever been in a stupor it's 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 a fog if you, the best way i can kind of describe it um, wandering around not having direction god gave it to them and then it says he gave them eyes that cannot see. So why did some of these that were hardened, those children of Israel that didn't, re didn't receive, why? Because God gave them a spirit of stupor, God gave them eyes that did not see, and God gave them ears that cannot hear. It was part of the plan. They didn't believe because God hid it from them. And immediately somebody's going to freak out and be like, well, my God wouldn't do such a thing like that. Well, let me encourage you and maybe caution you. If you find yourself saying, my God wouldn't, and then you fill in that blank with something that the scriptures declare God actually did, be careful because you may not actually be following the God of the Bible. And, and that's one of those things I'm, 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 I want to be careful with saying, okay? And I understand the implications of what I'm saying. But let the text declare let God be true and every man a liar. The text declares here that God gave them these things and that's why they didn't believe. Then verse 9, and David says, he quotes again, let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent continually. He's putting together this picture that the reason that they couldn't see, didn't see, was because God designed it that way. Romans will tell us about the character and the nature of God, that it is within his purview to crush dishonorable vessels, to remake them into honorable ones, to, and, and to crush them in order that the honorable ones can see them and to see his power and his majesty. And, and we have to get to the place where we are able to accept the things of God and say, hey, look, I may not understand it. I might not even do it that way, but I'm not God. And we're going to see that at the end of the chapter today. 
and trust his character, his goodness, and his nature to know that why is it that some of the Israelites did not believe and some of them did? Well, because the Bible declares in Romans 11 that some of them, their eyes were darkened, their ears were plugged, and he gave them a spirit and bound them up where they wouldn't see. But there's a reason. It's not arbitrary. Let's keep going. In verse 11, he says, I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? And here's the way I would characterize that. Is it hopeless for them? In other words, he's saying, is it hopeless for all of these that have stumbled because God gave them eyes that couldn't see and ears that couldn't hear? Have they stumbled so far that they're hopeless and they can't return? In other words, are they eternally damned? Well, he answered his own question, absolutely not. So obviously, you know, the question was being asked, well, if, the, if they've rejected the Messiah, I guess there's no turning back for them. You know, there's no path back. And he says, no, that's not the case. In fact, he says, on the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. The reason the Gentiles were able to receive the gospel in the first place was because it was rejected by Israel. Okay, read that again with me. On the contrary, he says not, and he's answering the question, have they fallen away completely? Is this forever? Are they hopeless? No, because by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? To make Israel jealous. Okay? Um, and and that, that word jealous is, is not necessarily just, a, oh, I wish I had something over there. It's they're in my place. I had that place. We are the people of God. We are the chosen, the covenant people. And now these people who were not even looking for it have found a place. He's going to develop this more. Now, if their transgression brings riches for the world, meaning if their, tra their re refusal of Christ, the Messiah, if it brought treasures to the world, meaning it brought the gospel to the Gentiles, if, it, if their transgression did that and their failure, riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? He's, he's making this contrast. He says, if their, if their rejection and brokenness brought riches and life and the gospel to the Gentiles, how much more benefit would there be when their fullness comes back and they're actually come back into belief of the Messiah? Because they've got the richness of this covenant in their history. If their jacked up stuff brings riches and salvation, how much more would their obedience bring you see the picture that he's drawing there. And there's a reason. Keep with me. Stay with me. There's a reason he's drawing these conclusions. He says, now, verse 13, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Who's he talking to? The Gentiles. Insofar as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. He says, look, guys, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. That's my job. And he said, I would make much of my ministry. I want to get all of uh, the, the, the Gentiles into the faith as possible so that, and he said, if I could do that, I, I would do that. I'll, I'll make much of my ministry if it makes my brethren, my Jewish brothers and sisters, jealous to the point of, of wanting to be a part of it. It's kind of what he's saying. If it would save some of them. He's like, man, it's worth it. I want to get all the Gentiles saved if I could hopefully through that save some of my brothers. You know, Paul has been accused from time to time of, of not, not loving and not being supportive of his brother. He, he left his brothers, Jewish brothers. Contrary to that, 
we see in the scriptures, he said, I would give up my own salvation if I thought it would, it would bring them. And he's like, I, I want to make much of my Gentile ministry if it might save some of my brethren, okay? Again, and he's even alluding to there is a responsibility in there. Though they've been hardened, though their eyes have been covered, they have to believe. And, uh, and it's this divine tension. And, and I don't, I'm not even purport to, to pretend to understand all of the depths and riches of it. Neither does Paul, as we'll find out at the end of the chapter. But he says this. He says in verse 15, For if by their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Once again, he's bringing this idea of like, man, if their rejection of Jesus brings life to the Gentiles, what do you think is going to happen when they receive him? It's going to be it's going to be life from the dead. It's going to be the whole shebang. It's going to be greatness. And he's exactly right. That's exactly what what he's he's painting a picture here. But hang with me though, because there's a purpose in what he's saying. Now, in verse sixteen, if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, if some of the branches are broken off. And you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Let me tell you, let me, let me summarize what he's addressing here. It, it, you read the subtext is, is there's a tendency of us to think, well, I'm in the root. I, in other words, I believe, I'm a believer. And I'm better than those who don't believe. They should know better. Okay, that's how it kind of comes. The, the Jews should have known better. You know, and here we are Gentiles. We didn't know any better. We weren't looking for God and we found him. They should have found him. Be careful. Here he is. Remember the picture. He's got this cultivated olive tree. We will, we'll call that the kingdom of God, the children of God. Okay, the people of God's where it started. But this is the kingdom as a whole. And then you got this wild tree over here. Jews and Gentiles. And look what he says. If some of the branches were broken off, these are those that he gave the spirit of stupor, blindness, and hard of hearing to the gospel. He's, 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 he's making an analogy between them as branches. If some of the branches were broken off, okay, made where they, they were rejected by God's sovereignty, and you, Gentile, though a wild olive branch, he took you as a branch and grafted you in amongst these other natural branches so now you're a stranger in a strange land but you're grafted into the root all of a sudden you find yourself with brothers and sisters in israel in the kingdom even though you were a wild olive branch out here not looking for god he grabs you and grafts you in he says if that's you gentile and you've come to share in the rich root and all of your nutrient the holy spirit of god everything that god has to offer comes up through the root and through the branches, whether they be natural or grafted, that's where all the source of everything comes from. He says, if that's you, and now you're in this cultivated tree, you, you started out in this uncultivated wild tree, now you're in the cultivated, cared for one. Don't boast that you're better than the other branches. You're not any better, Gentile, just because you got it and they didn't. I didn't know anything and I still believe. They knew everything and didn't. He says, don't do that. Because he says, you remember that you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Can I put it a different way? You're not on the team because you're awesome. God didn't look down and look at you and me and go, man, if we don't get them, this thing's off the rails. No, it's the root that sustains us. 
We're not there to give life to the root. The root gives life to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the goodness and mercy of God. Verse 19. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Can I put this a different way? He says, he says this. He says, if your attitude is right about where you are in your situation before God, you won't look around to the other branches and say, oh, look how awesome I am. I, didn't, I wasn't even looking for God, and I found it. But that's what a lot of our church culture does. It's like, oh, you just got to go seek God and find Him. And, and we puff ourselves up. He says, oh, no. When you get your attitude right, when you get your situation right in your own head, you know what he said? What you're going to do is you're going to look around at these other branches, these natural branches, and maybe the spot, if you want to use the analogy that you're stuck in and you're grafted into, maybe there used to be another branch there that got broken away so you would have room and it, it refocuses us, and he's saying, no, if your attitude's right, you won't be arrogant and boasting about how awesome you are. What you'll, you'll have this compassion and a brokenness over, oh, my goodness. The only reason I'm here is because some branches got broken off. There's some branches that started in the vine, and now they're over here, not in the, not in the root anymore, for the express purpose so that I could be in it. It brings a humility, not an arrogance. So if, if you're arrogant in your salvation, if you're arrogant in your, your existence in the root and in the kingdom, you don't understand how you got there. And that's what he's saying in this passage. Again, specifically about Jews and Gentiles. That's important to remember. And then he says, verse 21, there's an, not only will you be highly aware, uh, he says, uh, excuse me, 20, he says it's true enough. Branches were broken off so you could get grafted in. True enough. They were broken off because of unbelief. Yes, God broke them off, but it wasn't arbitrary. They were broken off because they didn't believe. Now, the argument is circular, and everybody always wants to say, well, did they not believe because they couldn't, or did they, or they stop from believing because they already didn't? I, I'm not even here to answer that. My brain starts melting. But at the end of the day, you and I are responsible to believe the message of the gospel, and they didn't, and so he broke them off. And he made room for those that weren't even looking and grafted them in. That's what the text says happened. We can talk about the ramifications of that all day long and the whys and the wheres, but that's what it says happened. And then he says, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware. They were broken because they didn't believe. You're in because you did. That's the simplest way to put it. And he says, but don't you dare be arrogant about it. You be aware of what's going on and beware. Watch out for pride because you're not on the team and you're not in the root because you're special. You're on the team and in the root because God is gracious and merciful to you because remember, you were out here and you weren't even looking. Got it? You with me? Okay. Verse 21, because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. There are those that like to take this passage and make a, 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 uh, an argument, as it were. Oh, see, look, you can, you can lose your salvation. I'm not even here to talk about that. Um, this passage, contrary to some belief and teaching, this passage is not about the security of the believer, per se. I mean, you can believe certain things and get there from wrong, the wrong text. 
what he's saying is, is like, don't, don't get up on your high horse, buddy. If he was willing to break off the natural branches, the people of Israel, his covenant people because of their unbelief, don't you be so arrogant to think that he wouldn't break off the grafted in unnatural ones. I'm not even making that salvific about whether or not you can or cannot salvation. The point he's making is, is don't get too big for your britches because if you think you are, just remember he broke off his natural branches to make room for you. It's all about our, our mindset, about our position with God and our relationship with Him more than it necessarily is a prescriptive, salvific, theological discourse. He's like, just remember who you are while you're there. Okay? You're there by mercy, not by your awesomeness. Verse 22. What What's my time look like? All righty. Um, okay. Therefore... Consider God's kindness and severity. Those are two, wait, those are two contrasting things. Consider his kindness and his severity. What does he mean by that? Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you. And if you remain in his kindness, if you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Again, there are some implications here, and I get that. This is not the podcast for that. We may come back to that. Okay. The point he's trying to make here is, is he was willing in his sovereignty to break off the unbelieving branch, to graft in the believing branch. And he's saying, just don't get too big for your britches. You're not above his sovereignty. Okay? That's the point that's being driven home here. We're not on the team because we're awesome. Verse 23, and even they, Israel, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. Did you catch that? The question's like, well, what about, they've, they've rejected him already. What, what about it? And he says, if they don't remain in unbelief, in other words, if they turn, they repent, and they believe, they can be brought back into the root. And, and the, the question is, is, how is that possible? Because he has the power to do it, and he can. Because he's sovereign and he's good. And it, to me, that brings so much hope because there have been times, hey, Terry, um, that, you know, I, I turn my back and I think that I'm, I'm just done. And that's where you want to talk about, we, we approach the security of the believer, once saved, always saved, blah, blah, blah. We approach it, approach it from a, a, a deal of a question of, am I okay? I, I messed up. Am I okay? Am I going to fry? Did I lose everything? That's just the wrong way to even think about the whole concept, Okay. We, we've been perpetrating this on people for decades, maybe even hundreds of years. That's just the wrong way to approach it. Um, hey, Brian Davis, um, is that it's not about, oh, did I, did I, did I, did I, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Did I sin big enough to lose it all? Don't look at it. The thing he's making here is, is like, even if he breaks off the branch because of their unbelief, if they don't stay in unbelief, he can put the branch back. Why? Because he's God. Because he can. And he has the power and he has the character and the nature and the love. He doesn't stop loving people, even if he has to break them off. Did you catch that? Even if he had to break off a branch, a natural branch, to graft in an unnatural branch, he never stopped loving the natural branch that had to be broken. If that branch will come to believe, it says, I'll put you back. And he's specifically speaking of the people of Israel. And then he says here, verse 24, For if you were cut off from your native wild olive tree, remember, and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, 
how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? He's saying, you, because you're Gentile, it wasn't natural for you to be in this kingdom. It wasn't natural for you to be in this, in this place. He says, but you were. Your faith brought you there, and now you're, you're in it, and it brings you humility, and you like it. And he says, if, if it's comfortable for you, oh, how much more awesome will it be for the natural branch who knows what it's like to be in the vine, though we be broken off, to be back in his rightful place. He's like, oh, it's just like the balm of Gilead. It's going to be great. This is going to be the whole enchilada. This is awesome. Because they, it's their natural setting to be in the, into, the, into the vine, into the, the root, into this kingdom. And he says in verse 25, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Paul uses this language, don't have time today, about it being a mystery. He's like, the way this works, the reason this works, all of these things, he says, it's a mystery. He grants that. Man, it's just wild the way this works. Is what The apostle Paul is saying, this is weird, wild stuff, okay? Because, but I don't want you to be ignorant. Brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. Now, let me put a period right there. The entire part of, 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 of Romans chapter 11, if, up to this point especially, if you wanted to, to, what's the purpose of Romans chapter 11 is so that the Gentile Roman believers would not be conceited and arrogant that they were in the kingdom and some of the Jews weren't. That's the purpose. And for you and I, the purpose is don't be arrogant that you happen to get it and other people don't. Okay? And we do that all the time in church culture. We look down our noses at people that just don't get it. We think that we've got all the answers. And he said, if you'll get your mind straight about where you are in the, especially you Gentile believers, about where you are in this cultivated olive tree, you'll look around at the branches and you'll be like, I don't really belong here, but I'm sure glad that I do, that I am here, because he cared enough to graft me in. Don't be conceited. And then he says, um, a partial hardening, I circled that word in my Bible, a partial hardening has come upon Israel, but it's not forever. When does it say? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Once again, please don't send me emails. If you, abs- I mean, if you disagree, that's great. We'll have discourse. Um, but there are people way smarter than either one of us, anyone watching this, I promise, that have argued over this. But here's the basic idea is that um, through the, the doctrines of election and of grace, um, when the Gentiles are done being saved, We'll just put it that way. Some would characterize it like this. When the last Gentile, elect Gentile, is in faith brought in. And we can argue about that all day long about the nuance. But the text says, until the fullness of the Gentiles. Now, some will tell you even, oh, that means it's a time stretch. There's a, there's a time. I don't know. I just know that he says they were hardened. Maybe those branches were broken off. Eyes I couldn't see. Ears I couldn't hear. Spirit of stupor. He said it's partial. And it's not forever. But there is a time when he declares that Gentile time is full and complete, all are in, whatever. He says, that's when it ends. The hardening ends. And in this way, he says, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. And he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. You see the agent of action there? He says, when I, God, will take away their sins. There's gonna, I believe that this passage teaches there's a time when he is going to bring those broken branches that, that were allowed to be broken. He broke and allowed to, you know, 
to be over here for the purpose of the Gentiles coming in, that there's going to be there's going to be a salvation of bringing them back into the natural cultivated olive tree. Verse 28 says, regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. You hear that, Gentile believer? He said, they're enemies to the gospel for your and my advantage. It's a good thing for us that they were enemies of the gospel because that's how we got the gospel. And then he says, but regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Regarding election, they're loved because of the patriarchs, okay? And then we get into this next text that gets misused a lot. And he says, since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. This passage, that verse is used a lot of times to say, oh, look, see there? Uh, salvation is forever. I'm once saved, always saved. I said the prayer and I'm in. Whether or not you believe, that's not the point. I, and I do believe that the, the believers are secure in Christ. But it's not because of Romans 11, 29. That is not a proof text. What this text is talking about are the children and the people of Israel. Go back with me. He says, regarding the gospel, they, Israelites, the broken ones, um, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, he's got two things here. He's talking about um, uh, for the gospel's sake, the good news of salvation, they're enemies of it for your sake, Gentile, for my sake, Gentile. But regarding election, there's a little bit bigger picture, he says, but regarding this bigger picture, they are loved because of the patriarchs. And here's the deal. God made a covenant to his people. Period. End of story. And he says that's the thing that's irrevocable. He said God made a promise. God does not go back on his promise. Do I believe in the perseverance and the security of the saints? I do. But not because of Romans eleven twenty nine. It is important to exegete Romans 11 properly and not take texts like this and apply them to even truthful doctrines where they don't belong. Verse 30 says, As you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you. So their disobedience meant, Gentile, you got to have mercy and you got saved, so that they also may now receive mercy. Just like you and I did. They were part of the plan. Might I dare even say, to go so far as to say the, the incredible, awesome sovereignty of God said, some, somebody's going to have to be broken off so that these can be grafted in. But I've got a plan. I'm going to take these broken branches and I'm going to bring them back later. That's what Romans 11 is saying. And then he says in verse 32, For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that they may have, he may have mercy on all. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us, Jew, Gentile alike, has been, his words, imprisoned in disobedience. After the fall, there's none righteous, no, not one. None. No one seeks after God. So everybody that gets mercy is, or, or gets saved, has grace, finds salvation, has it because of God's mercy. End of story. It's important for you and I to understand and position ourselves properly in the story we have grace, we have salvation, we have a hope, we have, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God for one reason, and that's because God is merciful and He is good and kind to us. And then Paul ends it with a praise hymn. Look what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. 
Understanding your place before God doesn't make you cower before Him. It doesn't make you arrogant. Understanding the reason you're in the root and in the cultivated tree of the kingdom of God, when you understand that properly, it doesn't make you arrogant and it doesn't make you afraid. It makes you say things like, oh, the depths and riches of His wisdom, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments and untraceable His ways. And the Apostle Paul is saying, this is so miraculous, I can't even fathom it. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When we get that part down that it's not about us, when it really has nothing to do with us outside of the fact that God had mercy on us. When we have our proper view of who God is, there is a fear of the Lord that we can talk about at a different day, but it causes awe. One of the, somebody said that on there a while ago, it causes awe. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. We've got to understand the fact that we're in the cultivated olive tree at all is by Him, for Him, through Him. It's all about Him. One of the things that irritates me, and I, and I try not to be irritated too much, but it does, about modern worship music that I find is, and, and if you start looking, you'll see this, is they're written about me, me, me. You look at some of the old stuff, and it's all written about him, him, him. Not all, but a lot of it. It's theologically pointed towards him. Our modern stuff is theologically, uh, it's, it's um, ethnos, not ethnocentric, but uh, it's uh, egocentric. It's on us. Look what I can do. Look what I am doing. Look what God has done for me instead of just who he is. I, I think that Romans 11, what it does for me is it reminds me about the juxtaposition that I have against God. God is God and I am not. I, the, Paul says it. How can I understand his ways? I can't, but I can be in awe of them and I can praise them and I can remember and, and proclaim and remind people of his goodness and his greatness. And he said, but, but God broke off some of the branches. Yes, he did, but he's God and he does what he pleases. And he did it so I could have mercy. And even more so, in this particular case, Israel versus Gentile, he says, I broke them, but if they won't stay in unbelief, he says, I'll put them back. What an invitation to the Jewish believer. And he says, Messiah will put you back. Just believe in him. Guys, I'm glad you joined us today. Don't forget um, about uh, all of our projects going on. If you're interested in, in supporting the ministry, again, we are 100% uh, supported by others uh, and ourselves and we don't have any big partners or anything like that we're developing an app to bring bible study training to the valley to mexican pastors down in mexico um and uh if you would like to be a partner with that um just follow that that link there the crucibles fire forward slash donate um and we'll try to keep you updated on that's going we've had meetings ongoing about this app that we're trying to build and basically what it'll do is take our bible study training um, and put it in digital form so we can distribute it out into places where we can't hold meetings. Um, we're trying to get some things together down in the valley. We're hoping to have three training sessions this year um, for pastors down in the valley who don't have the ability to go to seminary. They don't have the ability to go to institute. Um, we just go down and we teach them how to study the Bible, how to dig into the original languages, and then how to apply that into to teaching their sermons and putting together you know, messages and, and just living their lives. So if you want to partner with us on that, that's the, the focus of what we're doing in our ministry right now. Um, we're also looking at doing some of those trainings here locally. 
If you're watching this and you think, man, I would love to do that. We've done a couple here. We're looking to do another one here in the Martins Mill area. And uh, we come in and just train people how to study the Word of God for themselves, to be Bereans, to be more noble than the Thessalonians because they search the, the, the Scriptures daily to see if it was true. We want to equip you to do that. And so if you, you would like for us to come into your church and, uh, and to do that, have your pastor contact us. Have one of your elders contact us um, at info at thecrucibusfire.org. And uh, we will uh, we'll get back in touch with you. Actually, I think I have that up here. We can put it on the screen. We'll get back in touch with you, and we can schedule a time to come out. It takes a, at least a full Saturday, uh, a very full Saturday, but we would love to come. We're talking with a couple of local churches right now about maybe putting something together, and as those come into, uh, into fruition, we'll let you know, and, and you can glom on. Guys, we're glad you're, you joined us today. Again, thank you for commenting. Um, like if you're on YouTube, uh, subscribe to the channel. Anything that you guys put in there helps us with the algorithm. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of our, we have a, a private Facebook group um, called the Crucible Spire Community. If you'd like to be a part of that, just make a comment here on the video and I will, uh, I'll send you an invite or add you to the group. And we share some things on there, prayer requests that we don't put out on regular Facebook. Um, and we, we bring the, uh, the podcast there as well. We sure appreciate you coming. We thank all of you for being here with us today. And all we're trying to do is help people learn, teach, repeat according to 2 Timothy 2.2. We love you. Y'all have a great day and stay warm. It's cold out there. Bye-bye.